On this week's episode of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast, the Cybertruck appears to be delayed once again, but thankfully not for too much longer. Plus, we've got a date for Elon Musk's product roadmap update. The Tesla Roadster is likely getting a price increase. Tesla secures a big deal for responsibly sourced nickel for its batteries and more. What's happening, friends? Ryan McCaffrey here with you alongside Daisy the Boxer Puppy, who is curled up in a pile of blankets on the couch next to me, and this is Ride the Lightning, episode 337 for January 16th, 2022, your weekly unofficial Tesla podcast is underway. I actually wanted to start the show with a correction of sorts. It's not that I gave out incorrect information last week. But a listener provided me with much better information than I gave in response to a caller last week. That caller was Bill from Connecticut, where I had suggested a speed offset setting for autopilot that varies based on the speed ranges you're in. That was the topic of the call, was varying speed speed offsets for autopilot. It was a reasonable enough idea, but... I foolishly forgot that the car pretty much already has that built into it. I want to say thank you to listener and Ride the Lightning Patreon backer Crafty Geek for reminding me about the percentage offset setting in the autopilot menu. Crafty Geek specifically recommended a plus 12% offset setting, which when I tried it out, gives me almost exactly what I said I wanted on last week's show. So I'm putting that out there for Bill because that was definitely a help for me, along with a little mini apology for uh, not giving you that better information to begin with, and hopefully anyone else out there might want to try that and find that useful as well. Again, I switched over to it, and I've been super happy. I'm sticking with it. All right, let's get on with the new week's worth of news. In what is probably a sneak preview of Elon Musk's upcoming product roadmap update, Reuters, who is a news organization that, in my opinion, is about as reliable as they come. They're not ones to print, you know, uh, misinformation or rumor or hearsay. And they've printed stuff about Tesla before, like exclusive scoops that have proven to be correct. So I very much believe what I'm about to tell you, but I do need to caveat it is based on an inside source. It's nothing official, official yet. But with that caveat out of the way, Reuters reports that Tesla aims to start initial production of the Cybertruck by the end of the first quarter of 2023, pushing back its plan to begin production late this year, according to a person familiar with the matter who spoke to Reuters this past week. Reuters adds that the person said the delay comes as Tesla is changing features and functions of the electric pickup to make a compelling product as competition heats up in the segment. Tesla is expected to make limited production of the Cybertruck in the first quarter of 2023 before increasing output, the source said. Well, uh, what to make of this? While I'm sure that the Cybertruck is going to be excellent, I mean, Tesla has yet to deliver a disaster or anything even resembling a failure 
of a car. Everything they've made has been fantastic, even if it's taken longer than anticipated in, in most cases, in pretty much every case but the Model Y. I suppose even technically the Model 3 was more or less on time, if not a touch early in the sort of grand uh, scheme of things. But anyway, the point I wanted to make about this Cybertruck news isn't so much the additional quarter's delay, because remember, we'd been expecting it in the fourth quarter of 2022. So this is a one-quarter bump. But what I want to focus on is the reason for that bump, that delay. It's not a seemingly not a battery production issue. It's not related to the 4680 battery cells, but instead, as the Reuters source notes, it's to make uh, tweaks to the truck to add features and functions to keep up with the competition. And what this is telling me is that I'm worrying a little bit about feature creep on the Cybertruck. If you're familiar with software or video games, which are, of course, both software, <laughs> but if that's a term you're familiar with, you know what I'm talking about here, feature creep. I mean, it's, it is a good thing, of course, that Tesla wants to make the Cybertruck awesome. Don't get me wrong on that. And we know that the Cybertruck has been really Elon's number one most excited project, the project he's most excited about within Tesla. That has been made explicitly clear. He talks about the Cybertruck more than anything else. Uh, you know, we don't hear him talk about the Roadster. We don't hear him talk about the Semi. We don't hear him, granted for understandable reasons yet, talking about the future smaller compact sedan, cheaper, you know, higher volume vehicle. The Cybertruck is the thing that he so often brings up and, and talks about. He's clearly extraordinarily excited about it, and I don't blame him. It is a, it is a, a very unique product uh, for, for the entire industry, not just for Tesla, in both not only its form, function, and appearance, but the way they're going to build it is going to be unique. So it is a big deal. This is a, a big project within the company. But to that point, what this is doing, as somebody who has studied Tesla obsessively, I, I say that both good and bad, I, I'm, I'm obsessed with this stuff, it is reminding me of the Model X, which, as Elon has repeatedly said, he's called the Fabergé egg of cars. And the Model X, as you may recall, if you've also been following Tesla for a while, that was also Elon's pet project. You know, that was, of course, Tesla's second in-house produced vehicle after the Model S. And the X, Elon was really hyper-focused on at the time. He had his, uh, at the time, five children were very young. So he was really uh, very keyed in with this seven-seat full-size electric SUV because it was going to matter to him personally, not just as a vehicle, not just as a product, but it was going to matter to him personally. And Elon himself has admitted many times, I've played you a number of clips over the years, and he has said that, well, maybe we went way too over the top with that car. We should have dialed it back. Instead, we just loaded it with all these features and made it really difficult on ourselves. So what I would say to this Cybertruck news is I worry a bit that Tesla is repeating history here. I mean, I, I, it would be presumptuous of me to say repeating their mistakes since 
I don't think the X is a mistake. I don't think Elon would say that. I mean, he has said he maybe wishes they'd have started with a, a more basic version of it and just added features over time. But it's, you know, I don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill on this, but I do think the comparison is apt. Now, my other, and I guess I would say, the if there are any problems with the Model X as it pertains to it being this, te- this just, laced with technology product that Tesla labored over for a long time, um, including it it did take Tesla a while to really iron out the kinks in production after the Model X got started because it was loaded with so many goodies. But uh, that what I wanted to say about that is if so, if there are problems, they were Tesla's problems. They, for the most part, I think it's fair to say weren't customer problems. So with all that kind of clarified, I, again, I, I think the comparison is valid. So my other big concern in hearing this, as we'll hear discussed further in a Ride the Lightning hotline call from a listener later on in the podcast, is that this was a truck where one of its biggest selling points when it was announced in November of 2019 was its $40,000 base price, $39,990. And that just doesn't seem like it's happening now. As you've heard on recent episodes, the all but confirmed rumor is that the uh, odd-numbered motors are going to go away, the single and tri-motor, and be replaced by a dual-motor version and a quad-motor version. So uh, that $40,000 base price, and, and yes, I know inflation and materials cost, all that stuff, but, but the affordability is the point here. And uh, that's that's going to be a tough pill to swallow for a lot of reservation holders of the Cybertruck and just the, the EV movement in general. You know, we need affordable EVs. We need them to come down market. And they are not including Tesla's. You know, we have the the, the base Model 3, which is a forty five thousand dollar vehicle that offers a lot for that price. And there are some there's some nice offerings from other companies that with the tax credit that some other companies still have uh, here in the United States that can bring the price down even more. But it is a shame that that $40,000 base price on the Cybertruck seems to be very quickly going out the window for not just materials cost reasons, not just chip shortage reasons, but also now um, feature creep reasons, all this these new things that are getting added to it. On the flip side to that, as I wrap up this segment, this this topic, I will say that I do appreciate that Tesla is not doing the thing that they could probably be excused for with the Cybertruck, and that is rushing it to market because A, they've got so many reservations, well over a million to our knowledge, but also because the competition is either here in the form of the Rivian as they slowly start to ramp production or right around the corner in the form of the Ford F-150 Lightning. And yeah, there, there are a couple other ones out there. I mean, the the Hummer, the GMC Hummer EV is $100,000 and that thing's going to take literal years to come down market according to GMC's own roadmap on that. But you get where I'm coming from. I mean, the, the two big competitors being the Rivian and the F-150 Lightning, GMC did announce, uh, excuse me, I guess GM announced uh, an electric Silverado, well, Chevy, that would be, Chevy announced an electric Silverado, but that's a bit further down the road as well. So 
Uh, I do think it's good that Tesla isn't just cutting corners and just doing whatever it takes to get this truck onto the market as soon as possible. So I realize I'm kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth on this, and that's not my intention. I'm just sort of trying to point out all angles of this. There are good things to an additional Cybertruck delay and adding new features, and there are bad things as well. And I guess my sort of bottom line is, I think Tesla is making this delay for the right reasons, but I nevertheless feel bad for reservation holders, both in the sense of the additional wait time, but also that it it may very well end up pricing a lot of people out of the Cybertruck. Next up, speaking of Elon Musk's product roadmap update, Tesla will hold its next earning call, which is where we're expected to get this product roadmap update. It is going to cover both Q4 of 2021 individually uh, and 2021 overall as an entire year. That will be happening on Wednesday, January 26th, which is in two episodes from now. So in two shows from now, episode 339, I will have that. uh, The usual thing I do, if you're a new listener, I always just clip out the best the best sound bites from Elon and the Tesla executive team, and I go through and do a recap and an analysis of the earnings call. This should be a good one, not just because of the product roadmap update, although that's going to be the highlight. That's the thing I'm looking forward to the most. I mean, it'll be nice to hear how well Tesla did in Q4 and in 2021 overall, but I'm certainly keyed into that product roadmap update. But It'll be nice to have Elon back on there. He has sat out the last two or three, I think at least the last two calls. So it'll be good to have him back on because as we know, Elon is unscripted. He will, he will say, he will be asked a question from the say.com voted on questions and from the analysts who are on that call. And he will just give an off the cuff answer, which is always uh, a little more, a little more, shall we just say, spontaneous. So we, we often tend to get more interesting answers when Elon is on the call. Uh, now, the product roadmap that will be on this Q4 earnings call, I wanted to just share a couple of quick thoughts about it now before it happens. I won't call them predictions, but for me, the biggest thing about this product roadmap update, as far as product launches goes, Aside from the Cybertruck, which Reuters already seemingly let the cat out of the bag early on, the biggest thing uh, that we don't now yet know about are the statuses of the two new Gigafactories. Will they open this quarter? I sure hope so. And to that end, here's the other thing I wonder about that. Will both the Texas factory and the Berlin Gigafactory begin their Model Y production with the 4680 battery cells. If they do, it's going to speak very well, at least to me, to the progress of that 4680 battery cell production ramp, which in turn impacts both the Cybertruck, well, not both, all three of the Cybertruck, the Roadster, and the Semi as well. So the 4680s are a key component of as I've said before, of Tesla's entire future. The entire next decade of the company is largely contingent on 
the successful development and volume production scaling of the 4680 battery cells. The second thing I wanted to comment on as far as what to expect with this product roadmap update is I am sure that we'll be hearing about the pre-production or release candidate, whatever they are officially classified as, but those Tesla semi-trucks that Pepsi and PepsiCo are getting. I am really excited to learn any new details that Elon chooses to share there, such as, for instance, the real-world range that they've been seeing in their tests using actual 4680 cells, because, of course, the two original prototypes that we've seen running around uh, for the last two-plus years now, those are obviously not using 4680 cells because they were built before the 4680 cells were developed. So there are production trucks, or at least pre-production semi-trucks, running around now with actual 4680s in them, which, on that note, presumably, these are the first vehicles to use the 4680 cells. I mean, I'm sure Tesla has uh, some 4680 Model Y mules running around as well, but as far as actual out-in-the-wild 4680 usage, these initial Pepsi semis should be uh, the first ones, which is pretty cool. And the third thing I wanted to say uh, about the upcoming product roadmap update in two shows from now is, well, let me just segue right into the next story that I've got for you. It's about the Roadster, and it's uh, not a story that that is reported. It's It may not even be a story at all. This is, this is sort of my own observation with an assist from the Tesla Motors Club forum. So a few shows ago, I noted that the Founders Series Tesla Roadster had disappeared from the Tesla.com website. I, I didn't think it, mean, it meant that it sold out. I just thought it meant that they were making some sort of changes to it. It just, it seemed, you would, as I said at the time, I figured if it was sold out, there would be some verbiage on there that said sold out. You know, that they, would, they wouldn't just drop it and make it disappear from the website. Well, we have another small development here. And at this point, literally anything that Tesla does with regard to the Roadster counts as a development, given the fact that the last couple of years have been almost completely radio silent on this car. Anyway, the base model's $200,000 price has been removed from the tesla.com slash roadster page in addition to the founder series car being removed entirely. You can still make a deposit, a, a reservation for that base model, and it still requires a $50,000 deposit as it always has. But the change is that the final price, $200,000, is no longer listed. And I want to say thank you and a tip of the cap to Tesla Motors Club forum user Phantasms for pointing this out. I was browsing around the forums and came upon that thread. So this would seem to pretty clearly point to the price of the Roadster going up, which at this point, after all we've observed, can't possibly be a surprise by, by anybody that's been watching Tesla or really even the car industry 
over the past year. As, as I've said ad nauseum, I've repeated myself so many times, materials costs are way up, the chip shortage, et cetera, et cetera. It just costs more to build cars right now, and it probably will for the foreseeable future, and that's on top of general inflation that's happening right now as well. Now, to try and theorize where the new Roadster pricing is going to land, if in fact this theory uh, that the Roadster's price is going to go up is correct, the best that I can do is to look at the Model Y. Because, and, and what I mean by that is this, the Model Y went up about 25% in the span of a year, from $48,000 to almost $60,000. So, and that's, you know, over the span of this past year plus, as these costs have gone up. So that's, that's the comparison I'm drawing. So if you do the same to the base model Roadster, if you, if you throw another 25% on that price, you get a base price of $250,000, which honestly sounds about right for a supercar, especially when you look at the Plaid S, and if you, particularly if you add that $20,000 carbon, uh, carbon ceramic brake kit to the Plaid S that the Roadster is sure to have. The Roadster is almost certainly going to have a, the carbon ceramic brakes by default. The Plaid S now maxes out at $170,000 if you get every option. So I'm talking red paint, 21-inch wheels, white seats, full self-driving, and that carbon ceramic brake upgrade. So having the most expensive Plaid S be only $30,000 apart from your Halo car, the base model Roadster, that just from an, a pure optics sake doesn't really look right, does it? So that's why it feels like $250,000 for the base model, that's an $80,000 spread instead of a $30,000 spread. That seems to fit a little bit better, I think. And also, if and when, if or when, the Founder Series Roadsters are put back up on the Tesla website, my hope, and I would presume, by the way, that they would be $300,000. But if the Founder Series cars do end up returning at a higher price, I really do hope that Tesla honors the price of, of that car because... The Founder Series required the full $250,000 deposit in order to secure that reservation for that car. And that means anybody that did that has been giving Tesla what has now become a very long interest-free loan. And I, I think that it would be only fair for Tesla to honor those. I mean, again, I... I don't pretend to know the economics of it or or the business side of it for Tesla, but I'm just saying, I hope that happens. I mean, it's one thing, the base model where you've always had to put down 50K, okay, you know, Tesla res reserves the right to increase the price on that because you've just put down a deposit. You haven't put down the whole thing. You haven't prepaid in full. So we'll see what happens there, but some uh, interesting pricing developments very quietly happening on tesla.com 
with the Roadster, which again, I very much hope we hear something about the Roadster on Elon's product roadmap update. Meanwhile, this week, the full self-driving beta progress continues as version 10.9 is due to go out to beta testers anytime now, and hopefully that means about by the time you hear this with the show publishing on Sunday. Here as I record late Friday night, I have not seen any word in the community yet of 10.9 going out to anybody, but it's, it is due out imminently at this point. Uh, beyond that, though, is obviously the next big version, because we're doing 10.9. Next up, version 11. You heard Elon discuss it a bit in the clips from the Lex Friedman podcast interview that I played for you, was that last week or the week before? So version 11, and, and Elon said this about Beta 11's ETA. He said, Beta 11 with single city slash highway software stack and many other architectural upgrades probably next month, meaning of course, February, 2022. Now, the cadence of the builds with FSD has been approximately bi-weekly or fortnightly, if you prefer. So if 10.9 does indeed start rolling out right about now, as you're hearing this, then that means that Tesla is taking some extra time for version 11 compared to their normal release build cadence. I mean, it makes sense, certainly, right? I mean, Elon mentioned significant architectural changes and the, the big stack merge when he talked about it on the Lex Friedman interview. I mean, I would suspect that version 11 probably has a more rigorous QA process than the previous versions, specifically because of all of those significant architectural changes. Or maybe, you know, if if more rigorous of a QA process isn't quite the right term, it might just take longer to sign off on it because of all of that new stuff that's going on under the hood of Beta 11. The big question I have when I think about this is, well, let's look at the bigger picture for a second. How long will the beta go before FSD, City Streets FSD, is released as a production version to anybody that's paid for FSD? I mean, will version 12 be production, be the production version? If so, that would probably take roughly five to six months from whenever beta 11 hits which if indeed it's you know sometime in February. And Elon talked about how he thinks they'll get to level four FSD this year, which again, might not actually be in, in the cars, but in something they have achieved internally without having to deal with regulation or any of that stuff. So are those two things related at all is a fair question too. Or here's another question. Will the FSD beta just keep going for quite a while to version 13 or 12, one, 12, two, all the way to 13 and then on and on. I mean, only Tesla knows the roadmap. So all we can do is sit back and find out, but I'm eager to see where it goes. And the reason that I opted into the beta is because I wanted to have a front row seat to watch the software improve and get closer and closer towards a full and proper release. And as I've talked about on the podcast, the first several builds that I had 
were honestly, and, and I expected this, but they were honestly more annoying than anything else because they're very much in development. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of rough stuff in there, but it, you know, it's, it's a, it's a beta in every way. But for me, what I would also say is as to my point a moment ago about watching, having a front row seat to its progress, 10.8 for me has been where it's turned the corner in my mind. I mean, it's still very much a beta. Don't get me wrong. It does not feel like a thing. Again, I'm an amateur, so don't take my word as gospel when I say this, but in my opinion, it doesn't seem like a thing that's anywhere close to being ready for a full production release as of yet. But it really is improving. I'm no longer actively fighting it to try and keep it from crashing me into stuff, which it, it, it was doing that when I first got it. Like back at 10.2, 10.3, whenever I first got in, it would do surprisingly uh, bad things. And, you know, that's why you got to have those hands on the wheel at all times. And now, as we've gotten to 10.8, I feel like, I really feel like I'm not actively fighting it anymore. And it's it's getting pretty good on some routes now, too. My disengagements are way down from when I first got into the beta. And uh, I think I might have mentioned this a week or two ago. I talked about my personal metric for uh, beta progress on FSD. <laughs> and that that metric being how much do I yell at it from inside my car? I yell at it a lot less now. It really, my my yelling is has been cut way down. So it really is starting to get fun now. It's really starting to get fun. And I hope that Tesla admits more people into the beta soon because I it's last, to the best of my knowledge, it's still only been people that have gotten a safety score of 100 or 99. I got in on a 99. So I hope more people are able to get in on this fairly soon. Next up this week, and speaking of FSD, the California Department of Motor Vehicles is taking a closer look at Tesla's full self-driving regulation process. This story comes via the LA Times which gave me pause, and I'll explain why uh, about that in a moment. But uh, the LA Times writes, the California DMV now says it's reviewing Tesla's behavior and reassessing its own policies. I should clarify, uh, I'm, I've, uh, I've edited this down, uh, which I always do, by the way, but I've, I've more carefully done that with this story uh, because of who wrote it. The agency informed Tesla on January 5th that it is, quote, revisiting its opinion that the company's test program doesn't fall under the department's autonomous vehicle regulations because it requires a human driver. Quote, recent software updates, videos showing dangerous use of that technology, open investigations by the NHTSA, and the opinions of other experts in this space, end quote, are what prompted the reevaluation the DMV said in a letter uh, this past week to State Senator Lena Gonzalez of Long Beach, chair of the State Senate's Transportation Committee. Concerned about public safety, Gonzalez asked the DMV in December for its take on Tesla's full self-driving beta program 
under which Tesla owners supervise the operation of cars programmed to autonomously navigate highways, city streets, and neighborhood roads, stopping at traffic lights and stop signs, as well as making left and right turns into traffic. Those are the same features being tested by other robot car developers that report crashes and disengagements to the DMV, a group that includes Waymo, Cruise, Argo, and Zooks. Unlike the other companies, Tesla is doing without trained test drivers. If the DMV requires Tesla to conform to DMV autonomous testing safety regulations, the company would have to report crashes and system failures, giving the public hard data needed to evaluate how safe or dangerous the technology is. It would also stiffen test driver requirements. So that's the end of the excerpt, the edited excerpt that I've given you there from the LA Times. So while there is certainly the possibility that there are bad actors in play here that are making a coordinated effort to try and hinder Tesla on their FSD attempts, aka Fudsters, and what I was alluding to earlier is that this report was written by uh, the Los Angeles Times tech reporter Russ Mitchell, who, if you follow along closely in the Teslaverse online, Mr. Mitchell is a just blatantly obvious Tesla hater. Like, this is a guy who, I'll say this, it would be like, so I work for IGN, right? So I cover the world of video games. And let's say, you know, pick a major publisher. Let's say... Uh, well, Microsoft, because I'm kind of the Xbox guy, right? That's my expertise. That's that's who's Microsoft has been my beat for many years in the past. And it would be like me being the Microsoft guy, the Xbox guy at IGN, but actively, publicly, and transparently loathing Microsoft. And it's my job to cover them. That's how that's Russ Mitchell who works for the Los Angeles Times, a a premier newspaper, one of the bigger names left in in the world of newspapers. And I'm telling you, if you don't believe me, if you think I'm exaggerating, I mean, you know, I'm always honest with you guys. And and I try not to, you know, uh, I try not to exaggerate. That's the word I'm looking for. I try not to exaggerate or trade in hyperbole. Go take a look at this guy's Twitter and you'll see what I'm talking about. I've actually preemptively blocked him on Twitter because I don't even want him seeing anything that I'm typing up about Tesla and and using it for his means. I mean, he's, yeah, enough about Russ Mitchell. I'm getting off on a tangent, but but I chose to to do to use his story and talk about his piece here in the podcast this week because uh, the part, the edited bit that I read you, I, I basically condensed it down. I you know, I, I think that is a legitimate Tesla news. I, I've cut out a lot of the Russisms, the Russ editorialization within it. But I, you know, it's it is very relevant Tesla news that the California DMV is taking a look at this uh, and and taking a look at what Tesla is doing and and making sure that it's being done in the safest manner possible. And I'll say this: I don't think it's a bad thing at all to want to have safety data from the FSD beta program made public. Nor do I think it would be a bad thing to toughen up test driver requirements. Although, as I say that, 
I would argue that Tesla has made a pretty strong good faith attempt there already. If the, who, cause the DMV might not even be, they're probably not even aware of the safety score thing, but that's, I think, I think the safety score program is a pretty strong good faith attempt at having quote unquote trained drivers. Because as I just mentioned, you can't even get into this beta unless you have a sustained safety score of 100 or 99. That's the only way you can get into the program. So I think Tesla's shown their work there. Uh, but, but you know, hey, I'm all for the, their data being made public so that we can, we can see, like, is FSD having accidents? Is it, you know, what, what do we need to know metrics-wise about what Tesla is up to with the FSD beta? So it will be interesting to see what, if anything, comes of this inquiry by the California DMV. And I've said this before, but here, I'll say it again. Tesla is at the tip of the spear for so many things that they do. I've talked about it a lot over the years on this podcast. And being at the tip of the spear, it, it comes with good side effects and it comes with bad side effects sometimes. I mean, look no further than just the amount of attention that Tesla gets for anything. Like a good example would be vehicle fires. Tesla, that that attention is unfair, in my opinion, because data overwhelmingly shows that gasoline-powered cars are far, far more likely to suffer a fire than an electric car. But because Tesla is at the tip of the spear in the car industry, and specifically the electric car space, doing all of these new and innovative things, they get that attention both good and bad as well. And again, as I just got done saying, I can say in my short time in this beta program, I've seen it make noticeable progress. So as long as the data shows that nobody's being hurt, I really hope the program will be allowed to continue as is. Next up this week, Tesla has signed a deal for its first US nickel supply and it will come from Talon Metals. This story uh, also via Reuters, with a Reuters with two big ones this week. Tesla has signed its first U.S. nickel supply deal, choosing Talon Metal Corp's Tamarack Mine Project in Minnesota due to plans to make the electric vehicle battery metal in a way it considers more environmentally friendly. Talon Metals plans to use technology it hopes will allow it to suck carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and chemically bind it and thus permanently store it to rocks found inside its Tamarack project in northern Minnesota. The process, which is still being tested, would effectively let Talon market nickel as carbon neutral, a huge appeal for Musk and Tesla. Quote, Responsible sourcing of battery materials has long been a focus for Tesla, said Drew Baglino, a Tesla executive. Tesla plans to buy 75,000 tons of nickel concentrate over six years, as well as smaller amounts of cobalt and iron ore at London Metals Exchange listed prices. Quote, Talon is excited to support Tesla's mission to accelerate the transition to renewable energy, said Henry Van Ruyen, Talon CEO, in a statement. 
Well, Elon has gone on record repeatedly saying that Tesla will buy from anyone that can get them the materials they need to make batteries. But Elon and the company have also repeatedly said that they want those elements mined in an ethical and responsible way. This is Tesla walking the walk on that statement. So great news here. May this power many a Tesla for the next six years from Model 3s to Ys to Cybertrucks to semis to Roadsters. And well, I guess I'll leave out the so-called $25,000 car just because that one's probably going to primarily use the LFP iron phosphate based batteries and not nickel. But anyway, good stuff all around. Congratulations to Talon Metals landing that huge contract with Tesla and bravo to Tesla for taking a moral stand and backing it up with their wallets. Finally this week, just a fun little note, Apple has one infinite loop in Cupertino and Microsoft has one Microsoft way in Redmond. And now the Travis County Commissioner's Court has unanimously voted to pass item 21 on their recent agenda, which would change Harold Green Road in Austin, which is the site of Giga Texas, to Tesla Road. If you're curious, Harold Green Road has been its name since 1976. I saw this story on Tesla Roddy who writes, interestingly, Tesla road signs started to appear on State Highway 130 in December, well before the vote was ever taken and the name change was made official. A spokesperson for the Texas Department of Transportation clarified that the reasoning for the early placement of the sign was, quote, a misunderstanding. As a result of the of a miscommunication, the Tesla road signs were placed on SH-130 before the county officially signed off, the spokesperson said. Tesla will work with the commissioners to build a new Harold Green Road, as the name reportedly refers to a local dairy farmer, rancher, and home builder of the same name. Harold Green passed away in 1992. The change is effective immediately as Googling Tesla's former address will now show the updated name of 13101 Tesla Road. In Germany, if you're curious, by the way, in Berlin, Tesla Strasse, or Tesla Street to translate to English, was also created. That's where Giga Berlin sits, and that's uh, that was renamed in mid, or I guess created since there, that, there wasn't a road there before. So that was created in uh, back in August of 2020. And you know, my favorite part of this story is how Tesla will work with the commissioners to effectively relocate Harold Green Road, which I think is great because even though Mr. Green passed away 30 years ago, it would still feel pretty lousy to his surviving family members if his name was simply stricken from the record off of this, off of, you know, off of a road. So it's just, it's nice to hear that Mr. Green's namesake road will live on elsewhere in the county. All right, that's everything I've got for you in another busy week of Tesla news. Stick with me though, I've got plenty of your excellent Ride the Lightning Hotline phone calls coming up right after this.
Welcome to the Ride the Lightning Hotline, your chance to call in and be a part of the podcast. If you've got a Tesla question, comment, or discussion topic, please call in. I'd love to hear from you and feature you right here on this segment. You can call in in one of two easy ways. Either use your smartphone's built-in voice recording software, record your question. Please try to keep it to 90 seconds or less so that I can get to as many people each week as possible. And then email that file to me at teslapodcast at gmail.com. Or you can take that same 90 second or less question and just leave a message on the Ride the Lightning hotline. It's a toll-free number. Dial it anytime. And the number is 1-888-989-8752. Again, that's 1-888-989-TSLA. And if you know someone special with an upcoming birthday, anniversary, graduation, or some other special occasion, you can give them a unique gift of recorded voices from friends and family telling them why they're special. The recordings can be podcasted like I do with them or put onto a keepsake. If you'd like to learn more, visit lifeonrecord.com. We kick it off with Brett from Austin. Remember that Cybertruck topic that I was hinting at earlier in the show? Well, here it is. Take it away, Brett. Hey, Ryan and Ride the Lightning crew. This is Brett from Austin, a proud Model Y owner and anticipated Cybertruck owner. Uh, One comment for the show and for your discussion. Very happy with my Tesla experience, although I've watched the prices drift up on the Model Y now to the point where I'm not quite sure that I would have been able to buy uh, if I hadn't gotten in a year ago. And when I listen to your thoughts on the pricing of the Cybertruck, I tend to agree. I think they're going to drift high, and I do see them, according to Elon, putting the four-motor variant out first. If it does come in at 80000 I understand that it's Tesla's uh, policy to put out the more expensive version to help kickstart a new line. But my question comes to affordability and to if that is consistent with the Tesla mission of uh, accelerating the transition to sustainable vehicles. At $80,000, I don't know a lot of people uh, that are capable uh, or willing to pay that kind of price. And it certainly puts it more in a luxury vehicle than it does in an everyday driver vehicle, um, which I thought the whole purpose of the stainless steel Cybertruck was to produce it cheaper so that it could get out to the masses at an affordable price. Just wondering your thoughts on this, if you think they're factoring in a discount that is not yet there uh, from the Build Back Better bill, and your thoughts on now that Tesla has transitioned from a startup to a very profitable car maker, are they setting the right tone by coming out with an $80,000 truck as opposed to an affordable one for most of us? Thanks for all that you do, and I hope that everyone's staying safe. Thanks. Excellent call here, Brett. And you raise a fair discussion topic. I think the answer to this can vary depending on which side you're looking at it from, but Boiling it all the way down to the mission statement view, as you did, which I think is the best way to look at it, my opinion is that Tesla can fairly get away with an expensive Cybertruck, but only for a short duration of time. I think everybody understands that demand is through the roof and supply is constrained, particularly at the start of production when the run rate is at its lowest. And we know that the first vehicles off of the line are the most expensive for Tesla to produce 
due to the tooling costs not being recouped yet, as well as the slower production costing more per vehicle in terms of man hours per Cybertruck, person hours per Cybertruck. I mean, the first Model Xs were fully loaded $150,000 signature versions. And by the way, some in the media roasted Tesla for, for that at the time, somewhat unfairly, in my opinion. And the very first Model Ys, to use a more recent example, were performance variants. It was didn't last too long in that case, but the first Model Ys were the most expensive versions of it. Only the Model 3 has ever come off the line with as with the first vehicle being even a middle of the road variant. You know, they obviously they didn't start with the standard range Model 3 that came a year and a half or so later, but they also didn't start with the performance Model 3 either. That came uh, a year, yeah, one year into production. With the Cybertruck, I've said this before, uh, having been lucky enough to be at the Cybertruck unveiling event, the biggest reaction from the crowd that night wasn't from the 500 mile range or from the zero to 60 in 2.9 second performance. The biggest gasp from the crowd was from that base price that I talked about earlier in the podcast, $39,990. Price matters, as, as obvious as that sounds, but I think it's even price is even more important as the EV movement, which Tesla is unquestionably leading, needs to get down market as quickly as possible in order to gain more traction. The Cybertruck was going to be a big step towards that. And now, again, as I talked about earlier, with inflation, chip shortages, rising materials costs, it looks like we may not even get that single motor version, and we almost definitely won't be getting a $40,000 Cybertruck anytime soon and probably not ever. So I think it's perfectly reasonable for Tesla to start off with Cybertrucks that cost upwards of $100,000. The key for them is to not stay up there for too long. They've got to get down quickly, even if down market, in quotes, means fifty dollars to $60,000 for the dual motor version that is, as I've talked about, probably now going to be the base model of the Cybertruck. On this note, I do think that the next Tesla, again, that so-called $25,000 car at this point isn't going to be $25,000, but that car, I will say, that car cannot start with the most expensive top trim. They've got to roll those off the production line as a, let's say, $30,000 car, whatever its base price is going to be, because that's the entire point of that vehicle. The entire point of the Cybertruck isn't necessarily to be the cheapest electric vehicle, you know, that that sort of tipping point car. But this this next Tesla, this smaller compact sedan, its entire point is to be that that point of no return for the transition to electric vehicles from gasoline, where it's not only cheaper to own and operate an electric vehicle, but cheaper to buy one just the sticker price itself. So that's, uh, sorry, that got, that got kind of long-winded. I apologize, but that was a really great topic, Brett. Thanks again for your call. Here's Victor up next, commenting on the Tesla semi-truck. 
Thanks, Ryan. Uh, I just had some comments about the Tesla Semi. Um, when it was first unveiled, um, I thought it was pretty cool that they had these aerodynamic, you know, wheel covers on the front and this kind of long cover on the back wheels that made the whole Semi feel kind of futuristic. Um, I had also noticed that there were some like aero flaps behind the cab that would rotate uh, when the truck would go around corners. And it seems like, from what I can tell, um, Tesla has removed all of these things, um, and I'm not really quite sure why. Um, it seems like those would be really great for aerodynamics. Um, but anyways, just wondering if you had any thoughts on that. Um, my second question is around full self-driving with this Tesla Semi. Um, I'm wondering how that would work if it's pulling a trailer. Um, wouldn't that be blocking the back camera? And I know like they could probably have a detachable camera that goes on the back or something, but it just doesn't seem like that would be very um, standard, you know, because every trailer is a little bit different. So I'm just wondering if you, if you know how they would get around something like that. Um, so anyways, I appreciate your thoughts and uh, have a good one. Hey, Victor, the good news about the Tesla Semi is that we still haven't really gotten an up-close good look at the final version. I mean, sure, there have been some seemingly production intent ones photographed running around Giga Nevada recently where they're being built. But for all we know, those just might not have the aero wheel covers and the other little aerodynamic touches on them at this stage. As for autopilot on those, boy, that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? How will autopilot work on the semi. I mean, I've got to figure it's going to have to calibrate for weight in order to adjust braking and adjust handling. And as you noted, it's going to need some way to see directly behind it. I mean, I'm confident that Tesla has a good solution in place for that. I'd also think that the repeater cameras on the fenders or are, if they're even, if that's even where they're located, they might need to be on the, uh, or maybe have a second set of them or, I don't know, They're, they might need to be on the trailer itself, but those are going to have to be able to see, I think they're gonna have to be in higher resolution. They're gonna have to be able to see farther back in a clearer, higher resolution compared to the repeater cameras on our cars. Cause you know, the Model 3 is what, like 15 feet long, something like that, you know, it's uh, versus a semi, which with a trailer is much longer than that. So. It really is a key question, and it, the good news is it shouldn't be long now before we do see the version that's going to hit the streets, courtesy of the trucks that Pepsi is going to be getting. Next up is Chris in Arizona. Go ahead, Chris. Hey, Brian. This is Chris here in Arizona, and as you know, I got a new Model Y recently, and I had sold my Model S P85. Uh, and as you're talking about autopilot and full self-driving, uh, it gave me a thought because I remember, you know, I remember when Model 3 came out and the enhanced autopilot and the little extras you got without full self-driving. You were, you know, being able to change lanes and um, take you off the freeway. And that, I'll be honest with you, having the basic autopilot, I do miss some of the things I had in my old autopilot. One, I used to be able to change lanes in the flick of a turn signal. I used to be able to summon my car out of my garage, which is kind of a nice feature when you have a small garage. Um, and... I would like those back. <laughs> so, um, you know, word to Tesla, if you would offer a enhanced autopilot or auto steer program, not full self-driving as a, as an additional cost, 
I'd be in. I'd buy it. I would take Summon, Auto Park, and Auto um, auto Lane Change uh, at a cost. I don't know what cost. Uh, depends. But, you know, the way Tesla is, probably one to $2,000, I'm guessing, is what they would cost for that upgrade. I would buy it. Anyway, just thought I'd pass it out there. Hey, Chris, great to hear from you, and I hope your new why is treating you well. Uh, this came up on our last monthly Patreon Zoom call a week or so back on the back of the conversation about the full self-driving price increase. You are hardly the only one that would like to see Enhanced Autopilot make a comeback. I promise you that. It's still there in Europe, to be clear. So when I say see it return, I'm talking about here in the US. But yeah, even if Tesla did it as a 50-50 thing with EAP or you know Enhanced Autopilot being $6,000 and giving you lane changes, navigate on autopilot, summon, and maybe one or two other things, and then the other 6,000 giving you FSD, full you know stoplight and stop sign recognition, and the actual city streets full self-driving once that software becomes ready for production release and, and graduates from beta. I think a lot of people would bite on that 6K. A lot of people would bite on Enhanced Autopilot, and for good reason. I mean, for me, I felt like the $5,000 that I paid for Enhanced Autopilot when I ordered my car in 2018, and that's how the packages were set up, I feel like that's paid for itself easily. But the $3,000 that I paid after the fact to add the FSD package on top of that uh, setting aside the FSD beta, since that is still very much <clears throat> a work in progress and not something that every paying customer gets yet, I'd have to be honest and say I, I feel like I haven't really gotten any meaningful value out of that yet. I mean, technically, the stop sign and stoplight recognition falls under that FSD package, but I I don't think there's... I personally don't think there's a ton of value in just that feature. It's obviously a building block feature towards full and proper City Streets FSD. But um, but yeah, again, I, I made the purchase. I went ahead with it personally because I knew that I intended to keep my car for, for many, many years. Thanks, Chris, for your call. Let's go to Chuck from Oakville in Canada. Hey, Ryan, it's Chuck from Oakville, Canada. I was just out for a drive in my car listening to Ride the Lightning. You were talking about the cooled seats, and I recall there was a patent that went through for cooled seats that actually integrated with the HVAC system, so it had a coolant of some type that would run through the seats and then could be heated by the internal heater or cooled by the internal AC system, so no um, perforations in the seat. Personally, I'd rather it without the perforations. They just catch crumbs when the kids do eat in the car. But either way, it would be great. Or as you say, maybe it's just a bad copy. Good luck. Thanks for the podcast. Love listening. Bye now. Good memory, Chuck. You are correct. That patent was a thing that Tesla had a while back. I even mentioned it on the show, as I recall. But good memory on you. Uh, better than on me, that's for sure. So this could be the real-world realization of that. After all, we do know that Tesla makes their seats in-house, as they do many things, so it's entirely possible that they could be building this new patent into a production seat without anybody knowing about it, since it's all under their roof. I guess we'll find out soon, one way or the other, on that one. 
Uh, two more calls this week. Let's go first to Alex from New Zealand. Hello, Ryan, Daisy, and listeners. I was thrilled to hear that Daisy has made such a strong recovery. I hope you'll be able to enjoy some road trips and long walks together soon. My name is Alex. I'm calling from Papamoa Beach here in New Zealand. I'm a happy Model 3 performance owner. I've covered over 50,000 kilometres, that's 30,000 miles in my car over the last couple of years. Like many people, I'd like to know when the Model Y will be available in New Zealand. Now, we were very excited to see orders open in Hong Kong back in about July last year, with deliveries expected in September. So my question to you and your global audience is, has anyone taken delivery of their right-hand drive Model Y yet? If not, then there must be some very patient people out there. I would imagine if you've been waiting since July, well, I'm surprised I haven't been able to find anything out on the internet about this. So I'm looking forward to any insights you can offer as to when we might see the right-hand drive Model Y in our markets. I know this applies to the Australians as well. Thank you for all the work you do on this podcast, Ryan. I really appreciate how well you string everything together. And also the questions from the other audience members always keep this interesting. I listen to your show when I make a long trip in my car, which is about once a week, a drive of about an hour and a half. Podcast really keeps me company during that time. Thanks again. Alex, thank you for the kind words about the podcast, and especially for Daisy. Thank you. Uh, I have good news for you, or at the very least, a good sign. It turns out that the timing of your call was eerily perfect because just this past week, the first sightings of right-hand drive Model Ys occurred in the UK. I realize that's still halfway around the world from you, and it's a sighting, not an actual customer delivery, but it's an actual honest-to-goodness right-hand drive Model Y. So it's definitely a good sign. It's definitely getting closer. I don't think you're going to have to wait for Giga Berlin to come online, although we do expect that to be soon. Or if you do, it won't be because New Zealand's Model Ys will be coming out of there. I mean, more likely than not, Giga Shanghai is going to handle the right-hand drive Model Ys for your country, given the much closer geographic proximity and thus lower shipping costs. But perhaps Berlin has to come online in order to free up Shanghai to do those right-hand drive builds. That is entirely possible. Again, though, good signs are happening on this front. One more caller this week. It's going to be from Chris in Chicago. Hey, Ryan. Great show. This is Chris from Chicago again. Um, just commenting on the release of track mode for the Plaid Model S. Um, as a P90D owner, uh, P90D Ludicrous owner for about five years now, uh, I was a little, mm, not upset, just disappointed that there was no track mode when the Model 3 came out with track mode. There was nothing for per existing performance owners. You know, being that, you know, my version of the car is still faster than the Model 3, didn't make sense why I didn't have any performance features like they rolled out in that. So uh, I am glad that uh, Model S Plaid owners get it. Certainly deserve that, how fast that car is. Um, but on the topic of track mode and performance, uh, I recently joined the Tesla insurance program. And it's been going really well. My uh, overall score is about 98. Uh, so my premium is down about $70 a month, which is completely, uh, that's, that's great. But I'm concerned if I take the vehicle to the track, 
Uh, I'm probably going to be in like a negative 50 range or something crazy. Uh, is there any way, do you know or does anybody else know, is there any way to disable um, your safety score for, you know, a, a, a spirited bout or a spirited uh, weekend of racing so it doesn't totally trash your uh, Tesla insurance? Uh, any any info would be appreciated. Thanks, Ryan. Bye. Chris, thanks for your call. And you raise an excellent question here. What if you go to the drag strip or the track while you are a Tesla insurance customer? In theory, it shouldn't affect your safety score and thus your premium since the car should know via GPS that it's at a closed course. But as you noted, not every Tesla has a track mode that might serve as an auto muting of that scorekeeping while track mode is activated. Uh, On that note, by the way, does anybody know if enabling track mode does disable safety score tracking for the time that it's turned on? I honestly don't know, and I would like to know. So uh, anyway, I'll throw this out to the audience. Maybe there are some Tesla insurance customers out there who can speak to this with firsthand experience. It's uh, calling upon the Ride the Lightning audience usually ends up producing a good result. Cheers, Chris. Thanks so much for the call. Thanks to everybody for taking the time to call in. I promise I'll get to some more phone calls on next week's podcast. And again, if you'd like to call in, uh, if something you heard on this week's show inspires you to want to call in as a discussion topic or ask a question, I am here for you. I gave you the call in information at the top of this segment, but stick with me. I've got some more podcasts for you coming up right after this, including your pro tip of the week, I'll be right back. This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief, Sierra 117. You're listening to Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast. You know, that Cybertruck looks a lot like a warthog, doesn't it? Master Chief, out. As for what's been happening with my car this week, well, after I recorded last week's show, I uh, later in the weekend washed my car, which felt great. No more rain in the forecast here for a bit. And then as I was cruising down the freeway, like the next day, I was startled. I was just like, I, I was taken aback because I'm just, I'm on autopilot, just going, you know, like 73 down the, down the freeway and a huge bird poop just splattered right on my windshield. I just like, I jumped back in my seat before realizing, okay, it's fine. There's no damage. Everything's okay. Um, it, it scared me, I have to admit. And then I just couldn't help but laugh after that. And, and hey, I'm grateful it hit the glass. I mean, it still would have come off just fine if it had hit the, the body because I'm lucky enough I've got the paint protection film. But still easier to clean it off the glass. But that was just a that was just a funny like I can't think of the last time that I I mean this was like I actually put a picture of it on my Instagram because it was just this massive like baseball sized uh, bird dropping that that bombed onto my windshield it was just uh, it was funny so on a happier note uh, I have to tell you I bought the right before the holidays and they they finally delivered like a week ago. I bought the Tesla joggers, the pants, the jogger pants from the online Tesla shop. And I have to say they're the they're you know that's kind of the the style right now. That's the trend you see a lot of guys wearing them where they like kind of taper down and they get like thinner uh like tighter by the ankle and and I have to say I've I I am by no means a stylish person. I never have been uh despite any efforts I've I've ever tried to make, but 
I have to say, I, I see why these type of pants are fashionable for guys right now because they are really comfortable. I'm actually wearing them right now. Uh, I've been wearing them all day today. They're very nice. They're very comfortable. So uh, if you're and, and I also like that they're, you know, even though, yeah, they're Tesla pants, it's so subtle. You basically can't even see it. It just it has a very small T-E-S-L-A word mark on the shin, like down on the shin. There's a there's a point where there's a piece that's sewn like a reinforced piece. So, yeah, it's uh, it's not like it's like giant Tesla lettering or a giant T logo. They're just really understated. So I like them. They uh, but they've still got like if you look close here on the on the like pull tie, like on the end of that. So it's, it's got the Tesla logo and on the the pockets uh, have zippers so you can actually zip them closed. Like if you're actually jogging, they have the little yeah, they have the little T Tesla T logo on there. So. Uh, I would recommend them. They are very nice. I, I'm, I'm very happy with the purchase there. All right. Uh, hey, an entertainment recommendation for you guys. This one, I always try to give family-friendly ones where I can. Uh, this one's not family-friendly, but it uh, this show's hilarious. I love it. It's on HBO. It's called The Righteous Gemstones. It's with Danny McBride and a number of other very funny people. I think you kind of, you really have to watch the first season to get to be, you know, really ready for the second season, which is what's just started. There are, there are a couple episodes into the second season right now. Uh, and I've started watching that second season, and it's I love the show. And I have to say, there there is a Tesla, there's a Model X that plays into the plot in episode two of season two. I won't give anything away with that, but... Uh, if that if that motivates you to, to check the show out, I think you will probably not be disappointed. All right, time for a pro tip of the week. It's from Cam in Utah. Go ahead, Cam. Hey, Ryan, this is Cam from Utah. Just calling regarding a tip that's possibly a pro tip. So with the defrost, there's actually two modes. The first one is just a regular defrost. And if you hit it a second time, it'll actually turn on a heated version of defrost, which will just crank the temperature all the way to high. And in some situations, it's a bit better mode. Anyways, thank you so much for the podcast. Love the show. Been a listener since episode 50-ish. And I hope that you, Daisy the Boxer Puppy, and your family are doing well. Take care. Cam, thank you for this because it's a good one. This is a good tip. I found this one myself by accident a couple of years ago. Living in very temperate San Francisco, I pretty much never need the heated version here. Uh, which I think is why I never think about it and have thus never mentioned it on the podcast before. And as such, I appreciate you doing so because it's not obvious. But yeah, you will see the defroster icon turn red. uh, And I'm talking about the front defroster, the windshield defroster. You will see that turn red when you tap that a second time. That is how you know it worked. Thank you again for that, Cam. And again, if anybody else out there has a pro tip of the week that you think would be beneficial for me and for your fellow Ride the Lightning listeners, please give me a call. Uh, Call in the same way that you call in with a regular Ride the Lightning hotline call. Told you about that earlier in the podcast. All right, before I get out of here, let me mention some friends of Ride the Lightning. First, abstractocean.com. So much good stuff over there. You got to take a look. So I'm on there right now. I just figured, you know what? Let me, I actually haven't looked in a few weeks. Let me see what's doing over here. So as I'm here right now, 
You've got, uh, they've got a center console tray organizer on there. Uh, they've got a multifunction armrest cover on there. They sell the plaid emblem if you wanted to put that on your car. They've got an Alcantara steering wrap, which is interesting. They've got uh, rim savers for the different sizes, the kind of the, you know, the like rash guard for helping guard against curb rash. Uh, they've got f- uh, fold away phone mounts, which are pretty cool, you know, for is, it is legal in certain states to have your phone like up, up fixed on the dash. Uh, they've got, what else do they have down here? Uh, door handle trim wraps. So, you know, I've told you about, they've got the, the center console wrap kits. Well, they've also got, if you want to do the door handles, like in a carbon fiber or what have you, there's just all kinds of stuff. Uh, brake caliper covers, if you want to mimic, you know, get red ones and mimic the the look of the performance Teslas. Tons of stuff. Again, this is like, there's, this just keeps going. There's, in fact, I'm scrolling and it doesn't stop. This is crazy. There's, there's probably... 50 plus products here for just the Model 3. So take a look, abstractocean.com. And uh, when you've got everything that you want in your shopping cart, use the coupon code RTLPODCAST at checkout and you will get 15% off of your first order. Again, that coupon code RTLPODCAST, all one word, there's no space in that. Meanwhile, the snap plate which you can get at everyamp.com slash RTL. That is the front license plate bracket that snaps on and off in seconds. That's paint safe, grill safe, radiator safe, autopilot safe. It's clean. It's a minimalist design, blends nicely with the car, uh, but it does not use, it does not adhere to your car with automotive adhesive, automotive tape, which is what the one that you get from Tesla does. And I don't, I don't advocate that. Grab the snap plate that way. If you ever want to take it off, whether it's for car washes, whether it's for whatever you're doing, or if you're selling the car at some point, you won't have the, a thing stuck on the front of your car, which could turn off some buyers. You never know. So everyamp.com slash RTL. They've got a snap plate for all four Tesla models. Uh, next up, a new friend of the podcast Budget safe solar. So just listen to this for a second. So if you're considering solar for your home or business, obviously you are going to consider Tesla energy. But uh, I I don't say this with any pride at all. I there have uh, I've heard far too many uh, instances of long delays or just difficult dealings with it with Tesla. So I mean I've talked about it on the podcast before. It seems like the solar, the energy side of the of the business at Tesla is undermanned compared to the the uh the car side of the business. But in any case, uh you know, do your due diligence. You're going to going to want to look at Tesla solar, I'm sure. But also reach out to Budget Safe Solar. So this is actually a listener. This is this this business belongs to a listener of this podcast reached out to me, was telling me about it. And I think this is this could be beneficial to some people out there. Uh, their deal is simple. So they take the time to understand your specific situation. I mean, think of them as being kind of a, a, like real estate agents for your solar needs. They're going to help you find the best option out there. And being that they're independent consultants, 
there are, they have a lot of different potential solutions to help different people with different needs. They operate in all 50 states plus Puerto Rico. So odds are that they're going to be able to help you out. Uh, so feel free to talk with them if as well. They're, they're also hiring. If you're considering a career in the very fast-growing solar industry, I'm told that, that uh, they, I, they wanted me to mention that as well. So learn more and or reach out to them at budgetsafesolar.com. And if you do end up going forward with a solar system purchase, use the referral code RTL. Use the referral code RTL on that. So thank you to Budget Safe Solar. Uh, meanwhile, Immaculate Reflections, that's my detailer that I've been using since I got my car. Uh, Jeff McGovern is the owner and proprietor there. I've told you about him many, many times. He's just a, an extraordinarily talented and meticulous detailer. This guy, I mean, you can put your car on a lift, and if you look at the underside of it, uh, you'll see that if you do a full body wrap, or at least you do the rocker panels on the bottom, he wraps all the way under the car, even though you'd never see that. It's just that kind of attention to detail I love. So whether you want to do paint protection film on some or all of the car, or whether you want to do paint correction to get that paint, that finish looking as good as it can, maybe you want to do ceramic coating because you know that might be more appealing to you than having to wax the car twice a year to keep the finish looking good. You can do any of that and all of that when you book in with Immaculate Reflections. He's located in the greater San Francisco Bay Area. So uh, reach out via his website, irdetailing.com. Mention that you are a listener of Ride the Lightning, and there is a nice little discount waiting for you should you book anything with Jeff. Uh, let's see. Ah, PureTesla.com slash RTL. Of course, your one-stop shop for your dash cam and sentry mode setups. 128 gigabyte kit is just $49 and that's shipped free anywhere in the US. It comes, it's plug and play. It comes ready to go right out of the package. It is micro SD based. So it is going to be a much longer lasting solution than your standard USB flash memory. I speak from personal experience on that. Uh, I've been running Pure Tesla's kit for a long time, a good two plus years now, I think. Maybe more. Uh, and it's just works, it's just bulletproof. It works great. So they also have wireless game controllers as well. The slim, like low profile, like kind of Super Nintendo looking ones, but with, you know, what, six, one, two, three, four, well, six, eight, six buttons plus triggers, uh, you know, typical of a modern controller. So they've got that as well, if you're interested there. So again, puretesla.com slash RTL on that. And Jada is uh, the last one here, of course, my friends at Jada. They make that wonderful wireless charging pad for the quote-unquote legacy Model 3s like mine. Basically, all of the Model 3s that don't have the revised center console that have the built-in wireless uh, charging adapter for your phone. But if, yeah, so if you don't have one like me, I highly recommend you get Jada's wireless charging pad because it is awesome, works great, looks great, installs easily with no tools. And they also sell uh, the USB hub console that is a storage organizer, USB hub, Apple watch charger, and AirPod charger all in one. They've got a lot of great products over there. Uh, and I've got the coupon code RTL for you on that as well for a discount. So if you want to use that 
RTL coupon code. Please use my referral link. Go in with this link if you would, please. It's getjada.com slash R-E-F slash eight. And Jada spelled J-E-D-A. Finally this week, well, I guess uh, my social medias, if you care, if you'd like to follow me for a little more of me each week, I'm on Twitter and Instagram, both the same handle, DMC underscore Ryan on those. And uh, the podcast can be found and followed or subscribed to whatever the terminology is at this moment in time on all the major podcast services, including Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Spotify, those two being available natively in your car as apps right in your car, so you can find me that way. Uh, Or on YouTube, just audio only, there's no video, but if you just want to listen on YouTube, search Ride the Lightning Tesla, and you'll find my channel very quickly. You can subscribe to that, of course, all for free on that. And then uh, that'll about do it, other than... I take this moment of the podcast here near the end to mention the Patreon. That is how you can voluntarily choose to support the podcast. And I hope at some point in time you will uh, you will say, you know what, Ryan, it's you've earned that. I'm going to support you on Patreon uh, because I do put a lot into this podcast each week, which I hope comes through on a weekly basis. And I'm here every single week. I take a lot of pride in that. So you can find more information on my Patreon page, which is found at patreon.com slash Tesla podcast, Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. There are, you can pledge month to month, monthly, just, or uh, if you want to do it once a year, there's an annual pledge option as well. And if you do the annual, you get a 5% discount And you still get all the perks. So whatever tier you pledge at, so like the the base tier, the sport tier, that's five bucks a month, you'll get early access to each week's show. The ludicrous tier, the next one up, that's the $10 a month tier. You'll get the early access to each episode and the bonus episode each month. So, So on and so forth. Again, I'd be humbled and grateful if at some point uh, you would be so kind as to just take a look at that page, patreon.com slash Tesla podcast. And with that, let me say hello and thank you to the plaid, maximum plaid and roadster in space tier backers of the Patreon, starting with the roadster in space crew, Pete White, Lyle Austin, Steve Radspinner, Fernando Cordero, Lawton from Chicago, Sean Neidig, Scooter Ward, Neil Weaver, Jackson Wallace, Crafty Geek, Richard Stokes, Rolf and Jennifer Evers, and Howard Anthony Smith. Thank you so much to all of you for your uh, extreme generosity at the Roadster and Space tier. And then the Maximum Plaid tier, uh, I want to re-welcome, well, he's the newest Maximum Plaid tier backer, and it turns out he he never meant to to leave. He's actually uh, I I'd said I'd said thank you to him after after backing me for so long at the plaid level last week. But but he has returned. Uh, he never meant to leave. He's at the maximum plaid tier now. Joel Sapp, Joel, thank you so much. And and on a very uh, heartfelt serious note, I wanna I wanna wish Joel Sapp and his family uh, the very best in a difficult week. Joel messaged me uh, after he said, oh, no, I'm, I'm coming. I'm back on the Patreon. I, I'm back. Uh, he said uh, his, his he's a boxer owner as well. Him and his family, they 
they had to say goodbye to their 13-year-old boxer, Maya, this week. And that is, a, if you've been listening to the show, you, you heard me go through that. And if you've been a pet owner, a dog owner specifically, I mean, if you've been a pet owner uh, of any sort, you've uh, you've you may very well have experienced that. And it is, um, you know, I, it's it's the toughest part of of uh, these loving animals in our lives is is um, when you have to say goodbye. So, best wishes to Joel and his family this week as they, uh, you know, just they they process that. That's uh, that's not easy. But I do want to say thank you to the rest of the Maximum Plaid backers. Uh, they are Jonathan Wales, Cameron Clark, Daniel Grummer, Seth Capello, Nick and Tony, Tesla Hitchhiker 42, John Schmidt, Stan Roth, The Galpin Family, Ryan from Las Vegas, Darren Nickel, Kaz Barnes, Ulrich Lassa, Brett Libano, Patrick Wisneski, Gil Cabrera, Hay Watley, Eric Brown, Mark Eversole, Todd Badger, Joe Edgel, Kevin Yank, the Tesla Owners Club of San Joaquin Valley, Michael Williams, Will Stedman, Mait Suaru, Derek Nesselrote, Justin Perez, Jeremy Harris, Chris Beach, Tom Mills, Alex Brem, Zachary Howard, Tyler Smith, Corey O'Donnell, Matthew Graham Droneberger, Scott Gillis, Aaron Huxley, John Cody, Aaron, Sonar Tech 77, and Andre Kent. Thanks to all of you. And of course, the Plaid level supporters. A huge thanks to George Cassiopo, David Brander, Logan Willis, Jason Chalukas, Tim Hyde, Peter Chalet, Eric Randolph, David Nondahl, Dory and Steve Guberman, Jeremy, the Tesla owners of Taiwan, who uh, had, a, had an awesome moment in the sun in the Tesla community this week. The uh, and I didn't even talk about this, but the the new S and X arrived over there. But with that, in fact, why didn't I talk about this? The revised taillight design on the S. It actually apparently wasn't supposed to be shown off, but they're like a picture snuck onto the internet and then I think got deleted, but not before people could see it. And sure enough, I guess I'll talk more about it when it's officially unveiled. But yeah, the the chrome bar. Uh, you know, uh, between the taillights and right below the Tesla T logo is gone. It's just body color there now. Uh, and the, the taillights are slightly revised, although I haven't seen picture or video of them lit up to see if they are like a, a, a newer, different, you know, style of lighting back there. But the charge port, at least on the X, it is a flap like on the three and the Y because the uh, in Taiwan, at least, there's the CCS2 uh, charge port, not the not the proprietary Tesla charge port there. And the and the Tesla owners of Taiwan were the that was the the group that filmed that and made it made its way all over the the, the internet in the Tesla community this week. So awesome stuff there. Uh, so thank you to the Tesla owners of Taiwan for their continued Patreon support. And thanks as well, Ron Lee, Charlie Gillespie, David Perella, Sunil Joseph, Dennis Peake, Jeff Angwin, Chase Cabanillas, the Lydia family, Aaron Altshul, Jared Brown, Jerome Strack, Jamie Dalton, Noel and Lucy Murphy, the Tesla owners East Bay Club, Paul Casarino, Ryan Natchett, Mike and Barbara from Louisville, 
David J. Howes, Travis Krenzel, Matt Nixon, the Tesla Owners Club of Wisconsin, Jonathan Zelezny, Rick Dean, not Elon Musk, and T. Kirk Lowry. Thanks to all of you for your ongoing and generous support. And with that, for a now snoozing and snoring Daisy the Boxer, I'm Ryan McCaffrey. This was Ride the Lightning 337. We roll on here into 2022. Already plenty of fun stuff to talk about. Going to be a great year, like I said. So with that, happy electric motoring, my friends. Stay safe out there, and I will see you next week. I mean, I think a Tesla is the most fun thing you could possibly buy ever. That's what it's meant to be. Our goal is to make... It's, it's not exactly a car. It's actually a thing to maximize enjoyment. It's maximum fun.